0: The One Player Podcast, the show on Solitaire Board Gaming. I'm your host Julius, and this is episode eighty-three. We're taking over this moat. Hi everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Julius, and I'm here with the special guest host today, Chris Hansen.
1: Hello, how do you do?
0: I'm doing quite well. Or are you asking me or the listeners?
1: Both. Listeners, how are you doing?
0: I'm sure I hear something coming in the background there I'm
1: sure they're doing great
0: <laughs> Here again from the future When they actually get to listen to this After we do all the editing on it
1: Absolutely
0: <laughs> Thank you very much Chris For coming on the show with us Albert's, Albert's out of town uh, For the next couple of weeks So we're going to go ahead and fill in the slot While he's away
1: I'm very happy to be here Thank you for having me on
0: Alternatively I think we should maybe do a coup And just you know, boot him off What do you think?
1: Let's do it. He's had a good run.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's been doing this for long enough. I say we get him off.
1: It's time for a change. Let's do it. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, we'll show him. He's not the only one who can run a podcast around here.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be a, a, a hopefully adequate replacement for him, but definitely not long-term, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I guess we can let him back on <laughs> yeah he'll be here he'll be back in I think four weeks or so after he comes back from the summer break. He's got a long break in the meantime, well, I guess that's what happens when you you know have his line of job anyway, so in the meantime, I think we'll uh go ahead and break it to the news and see what's up. you ready for that
1: yeah, absolutely, let's do it.
0: So the first piece of news that uh, I want to talk about, I only have actually one piece of news outside of Kickstarter Um, I know that there's a bunch of games that are going to be coming up for Gen Con I don't know if you are going to be attending Gen Con or you follow the Gen Con releases
1: Yeah I won't be able to attend this year You've attended in the past? Uh, Nope, but it's something I've wanted to do
0: Mm, Same here I have also wanted to attend one con or something I know that there's a local con here mid-south con but it's a lot smaller than something like gen con hopefully one day i'll get a chance to do that
1: i've attended our local con here in utah it's called salt con similar very uh, much smaller than gen con but still a lot of fun to go to
0: Mm -hmm. so but i know that there's a lot of games that are going to be coming out at gen con or at the very least that'll be available for um, review on gen con and i think we're going to try and cover a lot of these over the couple over the next couple of weeks and just see what it is that's coming out and see what it is they talk about. But one of the ones that's going to be coming out a little bit later and one that I picked up a little bit of interest in is one called Dice City. Have you seen this one?
1: I've seen it on BGG. I, I don't know a ton about it, though.
0: So I was actually chatting with the designers and hopefully I'll have a chance to chat with them over Skype or something a little bit later. Um, but they, it, Dice City, we'll talk about it first, Um, the way it works is that you have your city and you basically you get to roll your dice up and you have a whole city in front of you. And when you roll the dice, that picks what's your initial selection of where it is that you're going to go. So you have a grid of dice one to six and different colors. And when you roll the dice, that determines where on it you have accessible to you. And throughout the course of the game, you're going to be manipulating the dice to change the sides of the dice or change the facings or change what the grid is so you'll swap in some cards with other ones and you'll collect resources and you'll move things around or you'll collect different buildings and this is all an attempt to build a bigger and bigger inventory and he included in the game the designer included in the game a solo mode Um, so you can play against uh, an ai opponent um, who's trying to destroy your cities, or trying to build it up? I believe is how it works, and um, just get the, the same sort of class, the, the same t- sort of clarification to it. Now I know that there's not currently any playthroughs or anything about that yet, because currently the final proofs of the game are on its way to the developers and AEG, who's uh, publishing the game. So they don't have anything out yet. All they have is some pictures of the final proofs and what the factory should look like once they get it. But hopefully once they get some factory proofs in, we'll have a chance to review it and then take more in-depth look at it. Yeah,
1: that'll be awesome. I love that the game is set in the kingdom of Roldovia. That's that's very clever for Dice City. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. They do have some clever names to it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a good one.
0: I like the art It's a very light, cartoonish art style. I think really the first thing it reminded me of was the Imperial Settlers Sort of art style, I thought.
1: Yeah, I've I've looked at the pictures on BGG. There's there's not a ton of them, but it, it is a very light, uh, cartoony kind of art. Very very cool. It looks good.
0: Mm-hmm. But it seems to be it's it, it I mean, I don't know if you consider uh, Imperial settlers to be light, but it seems to be about that same level of strategy. I don't think it's any lighter. So it has. It looks like it has some good decisions about what you're going to do with your dice because you don't. You're not rolling every time. You get to to build up your city and move your dice around some.
1: Right, exactly. So a little more than a time-killer game, definitely looks like it has some decisions in it.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's Dice City, and hopefully over the next couple weeks, especially once I get a little bit more time myself, um, we'll be able to look at more things that are coming off of Gen Con. Now, I know also on the uh, forums, on the one-player guild, uh, someone has gotten a whole list of those things that are going to be coming out in Gen Con, the anticipated Gen Con release. Um, so if you want to take a look at that there's a whole list there it's a very good list and so I definitely thank the people who are doing it I think it's uh, Dave Kunz uh, is the username for the person who did it so that was a very nice thing that he posted up there so take a look at that if you're interested I know another one that I want to take a look at is Loon Architects I'll probably probably take a look at that soon anyway so that's all the news that I have Uh, do you have anything else Chris?
1: I don't think I have anything else right now in the news soon yes, soon I've got some news coming up but I can't talk about it yet
0: okay Um, I also know that uh, I've been continuing to playtest Renegade I know that I said I would talk about this on the podcast some and uh, now's as good a time as any I suppose so, for those, of, for those of you who didn't hear about the last time I talked about it, Renegade is an upcoming game coming from Victory Point Games and being published by uh, the creator of the channel, Ricky Royal. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his channel, Chris.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: So, what Ricky does on his channel is he does the play, uh, playthroughs of these games. So, he'll do an episode or so to play through the game. And he's also created this game called Renegade. And in Renegade, you are a set of computer hackers trying to hack into the SMCs, the supermaster computers that control the world. And I think that some, it definitely reminds me a lot of some of the aspects of like Mage Knight because you have a, uh, a hex-based setup where you actually have to build the board. The, the board doesn't build as you go through it. You build the board at the beginning of the game and you set out these hex tiles um, these the sets of hex tiles on the, uh, across the game and the different colors to build your board. And then over the course of the game, you'll play action cards... And each action card will say, for instance, you have one of the blue actions or one of the green actions. And so you'll play a set of cards to take an action, similar to how in Mage Knight you would play a set of walk cards or or move cards. And you build up enough move cards until you have move five, which lets you take an action. Then anything extra, you discard all the cards you used in that action. You can take more actions until your hand goes away. So similar to this one, you'll play as many green skill points as you need to take an action. Discard those cards, any cards that were used to discard, and then you take another action use whatever else is in your hand to keep going until you empty your hand. Everyone empties their hand and you go back and fight the SMC. So I know in the previous times, the the reason why I want to bring this up is just to tell people, you know, let people get a little bit of the back, behind the scenes look at what it means to playtest. And I know that, Chris, you've also done some playtesting before.
1: I've done playtesting on quite a few projects. Uh, also, I'm currently working on a new uh, States of Siege game called The First Jihad, uh, which is done by Wes Ernie and Ben Madison, who created another States of Siege game, The Mound Builders. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I think, is a little more complex than that one. Uh, and I don't know how much I can talk about it, but it um, Rulebook's currently clocking in around... 24, 25 pages, and you're 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 simulating the rise of the first uh, caliphate as it's growing and trying to expand the Muslim Empire uh, from Mecca out into uh, Spain and the surrounding uh, areas of Persia and Armenians and you know as far as Chinese and India if you can get it. So really interesting game and and a lot more complex it's not the most complex states of siege game i've ever played uh but it's it's definitely not israeli independence level it's 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 much more on the mid to high range of complexity uh but we're we're doing both a basic game and an advanced game that we're working on so basic games still still more complicated than some but you know I, i think people will be able to get into it so really interesting theme and it's coming along nicely
0: so I just wanted to let people have a chance to, you know, hear what it's like to actually play test these games and not just hear about the games. Let's see if our the experiences for us are similar.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: I know this I know I've playtested a bunch of games from different publishers from from both big publishers like Plat Hat or Stronghold, and also from smaller publishers, even just people who are doing print and plays and first time Kickstarter creators. And with everyone it's been different. So I know that talking just about what we've been doing for Renegade with this one they really wanted to focus on balance and responses to the different aspects of the game first so the way it works here is that everyone with this one specifically like i said for past ones it's been different but for renegade what we set up is we had an email chain going where it was basically one email chain and you send it off to everyone instead of using forums or just going to the designer you get to hear comments and thoughts uh, in an email to everyone which can Be more messy. Personally, I think I prefer using a forum type layout, even if it's just a a free forum, rather than getting an email to everyone. I think it's just easier to keep track of and make sure you're sending to everyone. In do you guys also use an email?
1: Yeah, we have an email chain that uh, basically every reply you send out is copied to everyone, and like you said, it can get a little bit messy. Um, but generally, it's pretty easy to keep track. You, you don't get that many emails. Uh, I've also used, for other games in the past, um, Yahoo groups or Google groups where, like you say, it's more of a forum. But you can lock it down to only the group of play testers, so the general public can't mm-hmm. get in. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really interesting to see, you know, a comment will come in. I think this card is overpowered or I think this action... Uh, is, you know, is duplicated by another one. Maybe we don't need it in the rules. Um, and to have everyone be able to weigh in on that. And, you know, of course, the designer will make the final call. But it's very interesting to see the behind-the-scenes work and the discussion. Um, a lot of pros and cons getting thrown out. and um, Every now and then, I've had a case where I've been working with a designer and thrown out a favorite rule. Uh, that they had, where where they thought this is something that really makes the game unique, and and I've had to come back and say no, that's that's not working so well. Um,
0: and in fact, is a rule, that's an issue. Yeah. I hear
1: yeah. That. Um. So it, it I've, I've done both. I've, like you said, I've had the email chain going back and forth. I've done forums, and then unfortunately, I think there's been a few times where I was just about the only play tester that they had, so it was kind of. I would give <laughs> suggestions and the designer either took them or he didn't but there wasn't much discussion cuz there was nobody else to discuss it with. <laughs>
0: that that is a problem.
1: Yeah, and is a problem. I hope those games are good with just me <laughs> looking at them but I
0: hope that they get more testers cuz I mean personally just from seeing games come out, I think the better your playtest team, the better the game comes out and it's really important to get a playtest team.
1: I I've had so many cases where I've gone through a rule book um you know because i I don't just look for the mechanics and and the balance of the game, I also try to make sure the rules are clear and try to think of the questions that might be asked on board game geek in the rules forum by people you know before the game is is released so that we can clear up any issues in the rules and that's something I really try to focus on when I'm play testing a game um, so I'll go through the rule book really fine-tooth comb looking for everything i can and send a big list of issues they all get corrected and then another play tester will look through and find something really obvious that i missed even though i've read it three times so it's always good to have multiple sets of eyes because people see different things so it and that discussion is really interesting because i i see those emails shooting back and forth and think oh how could i have missed that <laughs> but it's good that there's other people there so that the final product is as good as it can be
0: mm-hmm. so that's just talking about the communication types that are used in some of these so we'll uh, talk about the methods and uh, tasks idea i think in a later podcast sure um, and we'll talk more about the playtesting in a later podcast but let's move on to uh, any other news and if not let's move on to the Kickstarter report.
1: Yeah, I don't have any other news. Let's jump to Kickstarter.
0: All right, so the first thing we're going to start off with is Apothica. Um so Apothica actually didn't start with the solo mode. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure who was talking to them or if they just decided, hey, it's a good idea to include a solo mode. But a stretch goal later unlocked to include a solo mode, so it's now one to four players. Apotheca um, is going to be a 35 buy-in for that one, and it's going to be running out on the 9th. Now, the way Apotheca works is that um, usually when you're playing it multiplayer, the idea is, is that you're doing a deduction game. Where you're pulling out um, You're pulling out tokens that represent different gems that are going on the board and you're having to try and deduce what your opponent has put out and how it is that they're planning the strategy and where it is that they're putting it out on the board. And you get to use your cards, your apothecaries, to move those tokens around. So you'll jump them around, you'll move the tokens sideways or in the diagonal. All is all a goal to get one of a kind in a three-in-the-row configuration. And if you can do that and reveal it, so you grab those three. And that counts as basically a point. And so when you get three points, then so you'll go ahead and win the game and become the Apotheca Master. Now, I'll tell you, I don't know how it is that they're planning to do a solo mode for this one. Because the whole idea of the game when you're playing multiplayer is that you are um, trying to deduce what it is that your opponent is thinking. So you're trying to get into the mind of your opponent. You play a chess game against them. So I don't know. This sounds like trying to play chess against a uh, uh, chess against not a computer, chess against a, a solo mode paper. I mean, you can play chess against the computer, but I don't know how smart a uh, 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 you know a paper version of chess would be. You're trying to figure out. Oh well, your opponent. Normally, you're trying to figure out. Oh, your opponent put. A tile here, a tile here, a tile here. And I see that they can move this tile here and this tile here, so it must be they did this. When you're playing against solo, even if it's random, I'm not quite sure how it is that that's going to play. And I haven't seen any announcement from them about how it is that they're going to run the solo mode.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of information about exactly how the solo mode works.
0: So, But at the very least, they said that they're having a solo mode. I just don't know, I don't know how it works. <laughs> I find that I, this happens sometimes where they just don't post up enough information about it. And if I'm on top of it, I'll normally try to reach out to them to figure out more about it. But I haven't had a chance, and it looks like it's probably going to run out of time before I'm able to get background to it, because so, it's only got about 11 days. But it, it's announced to have a solo mode, so take a look at it if you're interested. The, at the very least, the multiplayer game looks cool.
1: Tonight. And for those who uh, follow my print and play news blog on Board Game Geek, uh, it's worth pointing out this game does have a print and play free version. Looks like the artwork is in black and white, or you can get the full artwork for ten dollars. Uh, and it doesn't mention if that comes with the solitaire stretch goal or not. But um, but there there are other, there, there's print and play options, so you can try out the game now uh, before you uh, place a place your Kickstarter pledge onto it uh, if you want to try before you buy
0: I think that actually that's definitely something I'm seeing a lot more of with many of these kickstarters about having a print and play version I know that a couple of the ones we're going to be looking at today do have a print and play
1: Yeah, as I've uh, been doing that blog where I track the the news and try to cover every game that has a kickstarter print and play I've noticed a huge upswing um, or where it actually takes a lot more time to put the blog together now because it, it <laughs> used to be you know maybe one or two maybe three games a week would have a print and play game mm-hmm. with it and it's it's been jumping up where i've got six to ten games i've got to add every week uh, with a new print and play mode uh attached to the game where it's either free or you pay you know five or ten dollars to get the print and play files and it's becoming more and more common for sure
0: I think that's probably a good thing for backers, especially because usually I think that the reason why you see those is because they've gone ahead and printed out some very simple ones, and a lot of times they've distributed out those very simple ones to play testers to get back feedback, so... It's a good thing that they're doing that
1: mm-hmm. I, I see a lot and it, it looks like this is another one where you get um, black and white artwork or uh, this wasn't a solitaire game, but I'll, I'll mention it as uh, resistor came out a little while ago right right really, really cool two player game uh, artwork in the printed version was beautiful, but the the version that uh, you got on the print and play file was very simple, just white cards with simple lines on it where you could play the game, but they didn't give away the artwork for free. That's becoming pretty common, too, I think.
0: I think that's probably also a good thing because it keeps it ink-light.
1: It keeps it ink-light, it's easier to print, and it gives you an incentive to buy. If you get the full game for free, uh, I think some people might not want to pledge $40 or something to get the full game, but uh, in the case of black-and-white artwork or the really simple artwork that Resistor had, It's great, you get a taste of the game, but you probably want that professional look and feel that you're not going to get from the free print-and-play file.
0: So the next one that I want to talk about is Dark Dealings. Now, I'm going to actually talk about this one very briefly. So in Dark Dealings, the idea is it's a very short game where when you're playing a multiplayer, you have a bidding mechanic going on. You'll first draw out heroes, and you'll draft those heroes around to the side and each of those heroes has a dark count to it, how difficult they are. And based upon how difficult the heroes that you received are is how how quickly you get to pick the traps you'll use to defeat those heroes. So first you'll draft basically your the, the people who are going to be attacking you, and then you'll draft the traps and minions that you'll be allotted from your masters to be able to fight them off, and you'll play through the game, trying to match up those weapons against the heroes that are incoming. And you're playing solo, it's basically you're you're sort of doing a draft against yourself. Now, I had a chance both to play this game and to interview the designer, so after we get done with the Kickstarter section, I'm going to go ahead and bring in the designer and uh, let you guys listen in on that interview.
1: Awesome. Sounds good.
0: So the next one that I want to talk about is briefly, I want to talk about 101. Uh, an expansion for 101. And Chris, I just sent you a link to it.
1: Yeah, pulling it up right now. I'm, I remember 101.
0: You play 101 or you remember it? I, I,
1: re- re- I remember it the first time it came out. I haven't played it.
0: So, 101, when it came out originally, did not have a solo mode. And 101, it's a, another very simple game where you're playing in rows, and one player is one and player is zero. And so you'll be playing it and. Each of the different cards will interact with the cards that are next to it, above it. And so the different things, like one might end a row, or one might allow you to flip over an adjacent card. And so with the newest um, expansion, so it's including also a card for the CPU, where the CPU is basically just a um, a solo mode where the CPU will direct how to play on each turn so a one card or two card so you'll be able to figure out what it is that the card that the cpu is going to be playing and where it's going to be going now he's given a brief um, a very brief look at how it is that the cpu card is going to be playing so for example you'll have one card that directs you know on the first time it plays on the lowest row and it'll move around and then it'll play two on the active row or on various different places and so you can go ahead and take a look at it in the Kickstarter updates for that. Um, for how they're going to be playing, and the uh, this game is going to be created by the same peoples who made
1: the Tea Time game. The
0: Tea Time game, yes, the Tea Time game.
1: Oh man, I, can I can, remember what it's called. Yeah, I'd remember the name if as soon as I try to think of it, it's gone. It was uh.
0: Anyway, it's being yeah. made by the same people <laughs> as the Tea Time game. And which we reviewed in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, so I think that they definitely do a good job with their games. And so I'm pretty sure that they, you know, with previous ones where they don't give so much information about the solo mode, here I think they're not giving a lot of information about the solo mode because they're teasing it. But I think that they they definitely have a track record for making good solo games, so definitely worth looking into.
1: That image on the Kickstarter campaign definitely makes it uh, very easy to understand how that's going to work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's Elevensies.
0: or 11sies. 11sies, that's, that's it. That's right. Yes.
1: I, I feel so embarrassed. They, they entered a game in the Solitaire Contest, Elevensies for One, and, and the name just popped out of my head.
0: <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about is Argonauts, and this one looks really nice. I love the art on this one. Argonauts is, if, you, if you're a fan of Greek mythology, this is a game based around the Jason the Argonauts story, who were tasked to acquire the golden fleece so they traveled around the world collecting the golden fleece and they had to return back alive and safe and so they encountered any number of difficulties along the way they you know talos and dragons and harpies many of the classic mythology stories are from jason the argonauts as well as all of the classic heroes it's one of the, it's one of the greek classics is the story of Jason the Argonauts. And in Jason the Argonauts, you're playing as, um, w- as one of the ships. I suppose each player has their own Argonaut uh, traveling around the world trying to do it. Now, the game um, has... It, it is a cooperative game. So you're all traveling around the world working together to do this. And it has a specific one-player mode where it works as one player where you control the squads on your one ship. Um, and each of the squads is made up of different heroes. And the game comes with 17 heroes. And, the, again, the art on this is amazing. And you're, if you're interested in art, take a look at the game. It looks really nice. The level of focus that they put on the art for the heroes and for the Argo and for the challenges and, and looks really nice. I really like the art.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, but, it's awesome. It's really beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. But you have control of the different heroes, and so the different heroes will make up your game. And so the, the idea of the game is you have the one Argo wooden ship. And on each turn, you'll move around to the next spot, which will allow you to interact with whatever's there. So sometimes you'll be able to do merchants, or sometimes you'll be able to do exploration, or Argo events, which are sea events. And you'll be able to trade in expecting that, well, maybe if I trade in some of my materials, I can get some better equipment or heal some hull. And part of the decision will be trying to predict what's coming up, but also trying to figure out how to deal with the crises that are coming at you. Each of your heroes will sometimes be exhausted, and they'll move from exhausted to resting to active against you'll be able to to bring them out and exhaust them to use each of their special abilities in the meantime also while you're juggling all of that each of the heroes both is liked by one god and disliked by another god by gods i mean the the greek mythology figures um is disliked by one of those figures and liked by one of those figures. So, for instance, Jason, you know, the practical hero of the story, he's liked by Hera and he's disliked by Zeus. So if you have Jason on your team and you're trying to use him to gain favor with those figures, so if you just were using him, so then Hera would come to your side and give you a bonus. But, for example, if you just use Hercules, Hercules is the flip. He's disliked by Hera and liked by Zeus. So if you used Hercules only, Hera would come in and she'd do something bad to you. If you used both of them, they'd equal each other out and Hera just wouldn't have anything to do with you. So you have to balance those because sometimes you'll want to use those abilities, sometimes you won't. You'll have to balance that in addition. So the game altogether looks like it takes a lot of planning, a lot of thought to to be able to make it through the whole board and get all the way around so as you mentioned before this game got funded very fast this game got funded about six seconds in about six hours excuse me six seconds i wish it got funded about six hours and currently they're moving on to stretch goals which currently all the stretch goals they have in general look like they're including new heroes and new argo events i'm hoping that they'll continue to fund even higher up and get some other cool things out we'll see what comes out from that
1: yeah it looks like every couple thousand dollars there's two new heroes added to the game so, mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll add a lot more variety.
0: I mean, it's still got 19 days to go as of when we're recording
1: this. Yeah, and the stretch goals are, are lower. They're, they're you know every two or three thousand dollars, the stretch goals are hitting. So it's not not inconceivable that they're going to hit several more before the end.
0: I'm, I'm hoping so because I want to see what else they can do with that. I'm hoping that at least they'll have some more. Um Some more exploration cards come out, and hopefully they'll have some more relic tokens and some more equipment tokens. I can see that a lot of things going on with this game if they get more stretch goals, just to bring in some more cool stuff coming on.
1: Yeah, they could definitely go higher than their their last stretch goals twenty four thousand, and uh, currently they're trending towards forty. They're nineteen, so they're they're gonna. I think they'll they'll hit that pretty easily.
0: Current, I mean, they're if you trust Kick Track, they're trending towards forty eight thousand.
1: We'll see. Yeah, they're going to have to add some more stretch goals, I think. <laughs> I hope so. I hope, I hope so, so too.
0: So this one looks very cool. I'm probably going to back this one. I, I just I, the art is just killer. It's amazing art. It looks very nice.
1: Yeah, and the price is not bad either. Mm-hmm.
0: It's forty dollars for the full game. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's forty four dollars for the full game. Excuse me, I grabbed an early bird. It's $44 for the full game.
1: Yeah, and at the, at the time of recording here, it looks like maybe one of the early bird backers has backed out. There's one available. Maybe I should grab that right now. <laughs>
0: do it. Do it.
1: Do it now. Save my $5. <laughs> All
0: right, so that's Argonauts. Next one up is Dawn of the Zeds, the third edition. Now, Chris, I know that you're a bigger wargamer than I am, so you probably have more to say about Dawn of the Zeds. I personally have only ever played Dawn of the Zeds once.
1: Yeah, and I... Uh, in the expansion that came out for the second edition, the director's cut. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm actually featured on on one of the cards. Uh, the hunter becomes the hunted. You can see my picture <laughs> uh, popping out of a garbage can <laughs> with a giant oh, shotgun. Um, and th- it's actually one of the cards that that helps you a little. It's like, like I'm the I'm not one of the characters in the game. And, well, and I say I'm you know like the the the, the card uh, with my picture on it actually helps you it's like there's some crazy old guy living in the dumpster <laughs> shooting zombies for you so it, it's one of the few cards that actually makes your life a little bit easier so uh i'm um, glad that you're actually a helpful card instead of hindrance yeah I, I could have gone for being a zombie or something but i thought i'd try to help people out a little bit
0: <laughs> yeah i can imagine every time we pull out the card, like chris why are you here again <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah that, that that was my second choice is like the eat your face card you know you just die right away
0: <laughs> So uh, do you know what's
1: new with the 3rd edition? So 3rd edition has Dawn of the Zeds has always been a single player game uh 3rd edition's actually adding multiplayer uh capabilities to the game. Uh rule book has been simplified a little bit. Uh you mentioned that this is This is definitely on the war game side. It's a monster theme, a a zombie theme, but uh, fits into the States of Siege series, which is, I think everything else in the series is a war game. Uh, There's one other fantasy game, um, but everything else is a historical simulation in that series with 20 games in it or something. So uh, this this game has been, I think, the most popular game in the series, so there are taking the rules and simplifying them a little bit and trying to make the game more um, easier to play for a wider audience Uh, you know, not people who are necessarily going to read war game rule books and stuff, so rules have been simplified, some of the events have been simplified, so that the gameplay will be a little smoother little less fiddly and I, I don't use that word in a negative sense, but Taking it more from a war game level to a little bit more of a Euro style game. And this is Victory Point Games. I
0: find it funny that you call it being less fiddly when you call it a Euro
1: game. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to play more war games. <laughs> then you'll really know what fiddly is. No, thank you. Um, you know, look up Rule 27.1.a to find this. <laughs> yeah, um, this is Victory Point Games' first game that they're publishing. Um, out-of-house. All of their games have been published on, on their own printing equipment that they have, so this is going to have mounted board, very nice counters, very nice components, and Victory Point Games, I think, makes some pretty nice stuff already, but this is going to be really professional looking and, and nice.
0: Very cool. And how much is that uh, for the game?
1: Uh, this one is going for... They had an early bird for 55 I think, and now it you is... Did. 65 to get the game yep looks like there was two early birds i didn't know about that so there's one for 55 one for 60 and now the game is uh those are all gone yeah, probably quite a I while think that ago they,
0: they had they had the earlier early bird and it filled up really really fast and like we're sorry we think we'll give more early birds <laughs> and so they reopened that back up for
1: everyone oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm just looking at this now um looked like they had Originally, there was fifty early bird backers, and then the next level has like five hundred and fifty. Uh, the one that was five dollars more, so they created a lot more, and even that one has filled up. This one is currently sitting at almost sixty thousand dollars of its thirty thousand dollar goal, so it definitely made its cut pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, very quickly. So, very cool. All right, so that's uh, Dawn of the Zeds. Can I just comment? Kickstarter, why did you make it so that all the videos autoplay on open? I hate it. I hate
1: it. Mine don't autoplay. What are you using? Chrome. I've got Chrome here, too. I've, they're
0: intended to autoplay on open. I don't know what you did.
1: I've never had them autoplay.
0: They just started it a couple of days ago, and they said that they're doing it on an experimental basis only. And clearly, I was one of the lucky people who had it be... That it auto plays.
1: I think I'm one of the lucky people because it doesn't do that.
0: <laughs> yes. I emailed them and I said, please stop it. They said, we're very happy and we thank you very much for your comments and I'll forward that on to the, play- to the uh, developer team. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want to shut it off. I don't care what you do with developing. How can I stop it? Because until a few days ago, it didn't do this. How can I stop it? And they said, well you can't we we were experimenting to see how this works and what the feedback is clearly your feedback is that you don't like it and i will pass that on to the team but we're sorry that there's nothing you can do about it so why do you do this to me <laughs> it's really frustrating
1: when, when i'm surfing the web sometimes i'll open up two or three sites and you know i'll be on a news site and open up two or three stories i want to read and then if they have videos anywhere on them that start auto playing, I've got to go from all the tabs, and <laughs> I hate autoplay video. You know, go and stop all the stupid noise coming out. But exactly, I'm sad to hear that Kickstarter might be doing that.
0: <laughs> but anyway, um, on to our next one that we want to talk yeah. about.
1: Yeah, this has been the tangent conversation today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> tangent. Um, I want to talk about Toseti. Um Tossetti which. Is currently has 23 days to go and they haven't yet funded as of this recording and one copy of it is going to be running $60 but this is a sprawling game. Tossetti it's a sci-fi 4X game where you are an alien civilization and you're sending it out to deal with planetary crises as the world is just coming apart at the seams and you're having to produce resources and make new technologies and explore and be cultures. Your your standard 4X team for your 4X game. And this one, I think that looking at some of the boards and some of it, it reminded me a lot of um Eclipse. Although it could just be that it's the sci-fi theme and and some of the circles and just the the I guess you call it material theme. I'm not quite sure what theme it is that they're using for it. Um but you're expanding around now then unlike eclipse the board for this one is really not linear they have these cool tiles for the board where the there's a bunch of different shapes of the tiles there's some small hex of hexes i think you call them but there's some of them that are slightly bigger tiles and the you'll put them all together and you'll have holes in space and it'll be going all this way and that way and it it can be very different when you arrange it, just due to that system and setup. Um, another neat thing that's included in this game is that each of the player's ships are unique. It's not like you have a standard plastic ship for every player. These are sort of like minis. They're plastic pieces for each ship. So each ship is, a, is its own plastic piece on a plastic stand. So they're all unique. But what's really cool for the listeners to this podcast is the solo variant. When you're playing solo, each player board, each of the player boards has its own own solo variant. So you'll be able to flip over. You'll pick whichever colors that you want. So let's say you want to play blue today. You'll pick one of the other four colors, uh, purple, green, blue, light blue, and red. And you'll flip that over. And each of the solo games plays slightly differently about what it is that they prefer to do, how it is that they prefer to act, and they'll interact with their own abilities and their own things to do different So some of them will focus more heavily on exploration. Some of them will focus more heavily on attacking. And it's programmed in through that, through the different reverse of the player boards about what it is that they do and how it is that they interact. And I like that because that means that when you're playing solo, there's five different other solo opponents that come with the game
1: yeah that's a really creative way to handle it i like that you've got a variety of options for your solo rules uh Mm -hmm. gives you a lot of replayability
0: Mm -hmm. so i think that between the 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 different solo ais and just a number of the different components that look really nice with the tokens and the cards so i think that this is another really nice looking game also looks really cool
1: yeah if you haven't seen the pictures for this game definitely go to the kickstarter page there's there's just a million components, and it looks really good. And these, these are just playtest components that they have, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to look awesome.
0: Including one of my favorites, it has custom dice.
1: Very nice. And the, yep. those mini ships are very cool looking, too.
0: Yep. And it's, unfortunately, it's just a touch expensive. If you want, personally, I, I know that they have the, the less expensive one. <clears throat> it also has up there the special edition one, which comes with the NPC expansion. So you can have another NPC ship running around the board, which sounds like it would be even more, fu- excuse me, even more fun when you're playing solo. Um, the NPC is always controlled by the computer, so now you have two things that are very different running around through the com- running around controlled by the game. Also it comes along with some extra custom dice, but you know it's unfortunately just a little bit of an expensive game for me. It's uh, eighty bucks to get the game with that expansion.
1: Yeah, it looks like sixty without it but Mm -hmm. there's a ton of miniatures and and a lot of components that go into this game
0: yeah i I don't think that their ask is wrong for it because they have a lot of tokens a lot of it's got custom dice and a couple minis and some wood in there and some plastic pieces i don't think the ask is wrong it just looks like an expensive game but it looks like a ton of fun
1: it really does yeah but yeah definitely a little more expensive than some others
0: so last one I want to talk about is Quest Awakening of Melior. And I actually posted about this on the guild. Um, I received a copy of this game to take a look at, too. This is actually designed for solo. So this is a solo game, which also comes with the two-player variant. So it's kind of funny to hear something being designed for solo, two-player variant. Um, these don't come along often enough for me to be able to talk about. It. I like the solo games. Now, the way this game plays... I'm going to do a mini-review is that you have your character, and the base game currently is can co- be coming with one of two different characters, Zebra and Krowls. And your character ha- comes with his base ability, five events that'll happen, which are then shuffled in to make one big event deck. There's also a whole big set of encounter decks. So there's three different places that you'll be encountering. You'll be encountering Glowmount, Meltwood, and the Shadow Caves. And so you'll shuffle all those up. You'll then lay out a pyramid of encounters, which you'll then be able to interact with. So you'll go to the first row, and then you'll track along the pyramid. So each time you'll go to an encounter, and then for the next one, you can only encounter one of the three that are behind it. So you can't branch all the way out. So one of the first things you'll want to be deciding about is, do you want to try and go through the pyramid and try and hit some of the same encounters or try and see different areas and especially as some of those events come up it'll start to interact with the different encounters so you'll want to try and pick or stay away from certain places also every turn before you do an encounter you'll you'll encounter you'll, you'll do an event and the events sometimes will be very bad so for instance the events will make um, the will make the enemies you're fighting more difficult or it'll raise up the enemy levels or sometimes it'll give you extra bonuses or give you an extra bonus to your level. When you're enc- when you're fighting an encounter, what happens is you'll take the five dice, and you'll roll them. Each of the things in the game requires some sort of dice set. Either it requires a die or two dice or three dice. So, for instance, Crawl's um, main ability is that if he gets a four and a six, so he'll be able to bump up one of two of his. Uh, there's three. Stats in the games. There's combat, survival, and I don't think it's charm. It's whatever the blue one is. But there's red, green, and blue. So if he gets a four and a a six, he'll be able to pump up his red and blue by two extra points. So you want to try and roll those those dice, and you'll hope that you roll a five and a six. As you get more boons, so some of them will be trigger on threes or fours or fives or a straight, and you'll continue to do it's almost like a yahtzee mechanic you'll roll those dice until you try and get one of your dice to one of your dice combos to show up unfortunately on the encounters they also have their own dice combos so many of them for, so for example one of the di- one of the characters is that on a one so they get to bump up one so you want to keep rolling and hope that you get a four or a six a four and a six before it is that they get a one and if you get the dice to come out in your favor and it rolls what you want, so then you'll you'll win the encounter, you'll have more points than them, and you'll beat them, and they'll be added to your XP. And as you get enough XP, you'll level up. If they win, so you'll take damage, and the damage is limited by how far into the game you are. So in the beginning, you can only ever take one damage as it goes up, so you can take more damage. And the, the goal of the game is that along the way, in the event or with Zebra, You'll find quest ones. When you get a quest, so those events will last with you. And the goal of the game is then to find a quest and and finish a quest. So Zebra starts with a quest to reach level 7. So you have to keep getting enough EXP until you get your level up to level 7. Now, the first time I started to play this game, I was wondering, you know, this game didn't seem like it would be very much in my wheelhouse. Because you're just you're picking a random encounter, you don't really have very much decision about that encounter, and you know you don't really know what it is that you're doing, and you just roll dice to see that you get it, and it's just really did you get lucky or did you not? But I think that as I played a little bit more, I realized that it, I, I really had a ton of fun with this game. I thought it was really a lot of fun especially as more of the boons come up some of them will allow you to flip over certain cards and some of them for example there's one that comes out that every time you lose on glow mount so then you'll you you do not get to excuse me not every time the first time you lose on glow mount you'll place a counter on it the second time you lose on glow mount once it has a counter on it you're infected with a crystal curse and you turn into a giant piece of crystal and you just lose the game instantly so like when that comes out, you're like, oh well, I definitely want to move away from the glow mounts. But the first time I played through it, another quest came up: defeat four times quests and glow mount. And so I'm like, oh well, darn. Now I want to go to glow mount. Now I don't want to go to glow mount, or I want to spend my special abilities. Or, I don't want to spend my special abilities, or I want to wait until certain boon comes up, and then try and beat it at that point in time. So actually I actually found that you did have some decision about where it is that you want to move around, how it is that you want to spend your dice. It's a relatively light game. It's a dice-rolling dice adventure game. It's not a heavy, deep, strate- strategic game. But I, really, I actually had a lot of fun playing through it. I know that uh, I spoke with the designer about it, I know that he says that for some of the expansions, which hopefully if we get enough goals, so some extra characters are going to be coming out, and the goal with those is to make those even more interactive. You'll be able to spend HP or spend special equipment to do stuff that'll come out, and so that'll have even more uh, choices and more dynamics and more depth and strategy to it. But I think that for a a, a light, dice-chucking adventure game, uh, a Yahtzee... Pick your level, pick where you're going, pick how you want to spend it. I thought this was a lot of fun to play, and I'm definitely backing this one. I thought it was very fun.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to point out on this one too. We talked about print and play games earlier. This is another one that you can try out for free before you back it. There's a very low art, easy to print, uh, light on the ink version that you can print for free, uh, and I think there's only cards in it. There's so it's uh, pretty easy to make or mm-hmm. for $5 you can get the full art uh, after the campaign is done and uh, have a very nice looking print and play game if you're interested in that. Of course it's only um like $22 to get the full game. So
0: <laughs> uh, Right, the game is the game is relatively cheap. It's actually 24 uh to get the game.
1: Oh yeah, 22 was an early bird. I'm sorry about that.
0: Um, it was well, it was an impromptu early bird. They he made a mistake entering in the initial value. It was supposed to be 24. Um, but he decided oops, my mistake. Okay, early bird. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so so it looks like uh, if if you don't want to cut out the cards, it's not too uh, not too expensive anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think this uh, this looks like a lot of fun. I'm I'm really hoping that we're going to be able to get some of those expansion characters because I know that some of the things he's thinking about for it sound like they're fun.
1: Yeah, this looks like a good one. I hope I hope there's some of those stretch goals come out for expansions.
0: Hmm. So yeah, I'm. Backing this one quest awakening of melior it's got 28 days to go so it's got a lot of time hopefully to get up into stretch goal territory it's not yet funded but i think it's only been out for a couple
1: days Yeah, and the the funding goal isn't terribly high so i think uh, he'll hit it pretty easily
0: i hope so i i think that this is a very fun solo game light dice trucking, but i think it's a lot of fun i was per- i was personally surprised i did not expect i would like this one and i did
1: so i'll have to try this one thanks for the recommendation
0: Right, I'm here with Michael Kelly, the designer of a new game coming out on Kickstarter, Dark Dealings. How you doing, Michael?
2: I'm doing great. How you doing, Julius?
0: Doing well. Thanks for uh, going ahead and appearing on the podcast with us. So you're currently designing and publishing a game? That's right. And how long have you been designing this game for?
2: Dark Dealings came together fairly quickly. I think I, I had the original idea maybe... A year ago, but the actual development uh, has taken six months or less, which is much quicker than most of our designs.
0: And it's a pretty small game. I think it's only got, what, 100-something cards?
2: Yeah, it's uh, two standard uh, poker size decks, I guess. Uh, two decks of 54 cards, 108 total. Um, now we do already have some expansions figured out, but yeah, the base set is quite small and, uh, lean, but you get a lot of game for the number of cards you get.
0: So why don't we start out by just describing the game? Want to tell us a little something about the game?
2: Sure. So the, the theme of it is that, uh, it's a little bit like, uh, the old game Dungeon Keeper or, uh, Chivato's Dungeon Lords. You're, uh, an evil overlord, uh, trying to defend your castle against a bunch of heroes coming to kick you out. And then uh, the actual gameplay uh, goes in three phases. The first phase, you draft the heroes that are going to attack you. And uh, stronger heroes, even though they're tougher for you to defeat, they also give you more uh, bidding power in the second phase, where you use the heroes you've drafted to get the defenses you'll use to fight them off. And then uh, the third phase is the combat phase. basically a last man standing type of deal, you take turns uh, fighting one hero at a time and seeing how long you can uh, hold them off with the defenses you uh, bid for in the second phase.
0: So let me make sure I understood that right. You're drafting heroes, and your heroes go buy defenses, which you then use to kill those heroes.
2: <laughs> well, the, the heroes aren't buying the defenses. The, the actual thematic explanation we have is that uh, you're basically bragging about who's coming to kill you. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, dark, dark Lord a over here is like, well, I have a, you know, a three foot tall halfling with a fork, and, you know, dark Lord B is like, well, I have a hero with the giant broad sword of death. And, you know, the, the dark masters that you serve take pity on hero B and give him like the best defense possible because clearly that giant guy with a sword is tougher so, yeah, the, the heroes are not buying weapons to defeat themselves with. It's uh, You're basically uh, bragging about them and showing them off.
0: So I know that uh, you have a solo mechanic, but it sounds like it would be really hard to work out drafting as a solo game. How do you manage to work that out?
2: So uh, it, 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 it took a little bit because one of the big uh, inspirations for the game was uh, For Sale, which is a, a great little filler for... Uh, I think it's three to six players, and uh, yeah, I, I love bidding games, uh, going all the way back to like Kanitzia's Ra, and I, I don't know. I, I was just trying to figure out a way to make it work. So the drafting phase is a solo only effort. You uh, you draw three heroes at a time and discard one of them. So you basically make four choices there out of the eight heroes you're going to get. You get to discard four of the twelve you've drawn. Um, so you don't have the actual, like, draft of passing around to people. It's sort of a... Uh, you're sort of creating the false idea of a draft by just discarding cards. But it still gives you some good choices to sort of customize the guys who are coming to attack you. Mm-hmm. And then um, the the bidding phase... Uh, it actually works out pretty nicely. Uh, and I think this is kind of an accident. See, I, I had a... Uh, I had ranked all of the defenses from worst to best, um, mathematically. And, uh, so they each have like his little ranks on them, which I was just using to help players, you know, kind of get an idea when they're first playing of what is a better or worse defense. Um, but then I realized that that basically provided all the, the tools I needed for a really basic AI because, uh how how the uh, ai works in the bidding is you just draw some random heroes for them and whenever their hero beats one of yours they just take the highest ranked defense so you don't need to make any choices or kind of like do things that are easier or harder for yourself um, you just let the ai kind of run its bidding for itself and you try to get the things you want for yourself
0: so the ai is grabbing from the ones that you discarded or it's grabbing from the ones from the deck still
2: So uh, how the defense phase works in the multiplayer game, just so you kind of get an idea of that, is uh, you flip over twice the number of players. So if there's three players, we'll have six defense cards up. And then we each select two heroes out of the eight we have in our hand uh, face down so nobody knows what each person has selected. Flip them all up. And uh, let's say my hero is by far the nastiest. He's got a challenge value of 50. I get to pick which of those six I want. Might not be the strongest one. I might have specific needs, like one of my heroes can only be defeated by a monster. Um, And then in descending challenge value, so the guy with the 40 hero, he'll pick next. The guy with the 30 hero, he'll pick next. That's how it works in multiplayer. So with the AI, I'm still choosing my two heroes um blindly hoping that I can defeat the AI and kind of playing the spread a little bit. But then I draw some cards for the AI, and, you know, if if I played a 45, but the AI happens to have randomly selected a 46, he's gonna take whatever the highest rank card is. So you still go in the same order you do in multiplayer, it's just the, the heroes are chosen randomly for them.
0: So you said that some heroes are only defeated by monsters what kind of defenses do you get? what kind of heroes are there?
2: Oh uh, so in the base game at least, um, there are six different heroes and they basically the balance mechanism is that uh, the higher their armor is, so the the stronger defenses you need to defeat them, the weaker their special ability is. So at the highest end of the spectrum, you have knights who have crazy high armor, but they're so slow that you can keep on attacking them with the same defense which you normally can't do. So something smaller might be able to defeat them. And then um, at the bottom end, for example, you have uh, wizards who have a very low armor, but the second they're revealed, they just shoot a fireball into one of your defenses and just blast it out of existence. So they can really screw up your entire like hand of cards for defenses. But once you deal with that, they're super easy to defeat. And then um, the defenses come in three sort of suits or types um, you have monsters, uh magic spells, and traps. And each of them has uh, their other own fun illustrations with uh, Rob Lundy, our artist.
0: Oh, he's very good. I really yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, no, he's stuff.
2: he's fantastic. The second that Nevermore said uh we had him signed on and he sent the first piece. I mean I was I've just been blown away with all the stuff he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but then. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of variety within the defenses though. So you have some wilds which are a little like necronomicon-ish uh spellbooks. Um you have uh like Cthulhu-ish monsters and like paladins who switch types. So at first they're a fighter but then they become a magic. Um you have uh really powerful ones like necromancers for the monsters that uh can kill almost any hero but then they actually blast part of your dungeon away in the process like shooting a huge spell at them so but they all fall within those uh, three basic types Um, and that's how the heroes are differentiated too so the weakest heroes um, are vulnerable to anything so you have a ton of flexibility in defeating them then the strongest heroes are vulnerable to only one type so you really have to be careful in your bidding that you cover whatever they need to be defeated So
0: how do you – is it a memory element also about remembering?
2: It's a a slight memory element. So you can always look at your heroes during the hero phase when you're drafting them. Like see the ones you've already gotten, try to plan ahead so you don't have every single guy is only vulnerable to monsters, for example. Um, And then you can look at your hand again during the bidding phase. The only time slight memory comes in is that once you've used a hero to bid – they go face down, and you are not allowed to look at them anymore at that point. Now, I will say, for beginners, we usually let them look anyway, just to make the game a little bit more uh, accessible. Um, but so that leads to really what makes the game uh, as fun and exciting as it is. In all our play tests, we always have people like groaning and shouting and cheering. Um, because no one remembers all eight heroes you know they'll like remember the big ones they'll be like oh man i really need a five magic but then they'll be like oh my gosh i totally forgot about that thief oh i have nothing and you know then they'll be defeated by that guy so uh
0: That sounds like a very familiar story.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean um one of my favorite games with sort of that whole like build up a dungeon and then have it be destroyed mechanics is uh Galaxy Trucker. Um and you know in that one you've got the the adventures that you know about if you have peeked at them during the building phase, but you've always got like those random cards that you didn't know about that can kind of ruin your day. So I, I like that little element of randomness. Here it's a, it's a memory element because you could theoretically, I guess, memorize all eight heroes. No one's ever done it, but I guess it's possible.
0: <laughs> so I believe that you also have some uh, playtest play videos up showing the game being played solo mode.
2: Yeah, that's right uh, It is me playing it So you get to hear my melodious voice a little bit more um, <laughs> So yeah, it's it's on our uh, I think it's on Board Game Geek and on our Kickstarter page And it's just me playing through a whole uh, solo game Talking through the strategy
0: um, I'm looking at the Kickstarter page And I see that there's a lot of really nice art there Like I said, I'm a, I'm a fan of Rob Lundy's stuff How many pieces of art are you putting in the game?
2: Oof uh, Nevermore would know the exact numbers, but we've got the six heroes, and one of our stretch goals I really hope we reach is to have uh, reversed genders for all the heroes. So that would make it 12 illustrations of heroes instead of six. Because uh, I love having. I mean, we already have some really great, strong uh, female characters in there, but I'd love to have even more. And then for the defenses. Gosh, I'm not sure. I think there's. I think there's three or four individual illustrations per type, plus a few uh, special defenses. So off the top of my head, I'd want to say 12 to 15 illustrations for the defense deck. And then add on to that Then anybody who does the, um, the deluxe Kickstarter level, which is uh, $20. Kickstarter level? It's like $20 instead of 15. And you get, um, a free expansion pack right away with, a. Uh, I think three dragon illustrations and a new dragon hero. Um, so, yeah. Basically, if you're if you're pledging on the Kickstarter, you're going to get a ton of awesome Rob Lundy art regardless of uh, what level you go at.
0: So what else comes... Does anything else come in that uh, deluxe content?
2: Um, Hopefully, depending on how high we get, basically uh, the, the first couple stretch goals, because we've already reached our funding level, the first couple stretch goals are... Um, upgrades for all editions of the game Like upgrades to the card stock And that kind of stuff A nicer first player marker But then after that Pretty much everything is an expansion That's exclusive to the uh, the $20 pledge level So hopefully if we go high enough uh, People who are pledging at $20 Are getting uh, four or five expansions That they'd have to buy separately in the future um, Just for $5 more but I mean, the, the base game is fantastic. I've I've played it personally probably, gosh, I don't know, sixty or seventy times. A lot of that solo, and I'm not bored yet. Although, of course, I am a little biased. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you think the game is uh, stands up even for just solo play?
2: Sure. Um, I mean, I gosh, I I think I've played it solo about ten times in the last two days. Um, you know, I mean, you lose that social experience, of course, but it's very tactical. If if you watch the uh the solo video, you'll see how many decisions go in there. And actually I was <laughs> I was rewatching it myself today and realized that if I'd made one different decision, I think I might have been able to go all the way instead of uh dying near the end. So, uh yeah, it it's a lot of fun. Um really the my my favorite other solo game right now, I don't know if you've played this, is uh Baseball Highlights uh, 2045. Um, That's another one that plays fantastic with uh, two players especially, but also with uh, more than that. But the solo game is just great. Like I would totally play that game for just solo all day long. It's a fantastic game. Um, But yeah, Dark Dealings is a great solo. Uh, I kind of liken it to... uh, friedman oh gosh i'm not even sure how to say his last name um <laughs> uh friday that uh that solo sure, card game that one. um because it's very fast it's very fun it you know even though there's only 108 cards the order they come out in and the challenges you have to deal with feel completely different every time um there's a really simple way to change the difficulty level when you're playing solo how do you do that Basically, you're just – usually you would draw three heroes for the AI um, to determine whether they beat you in the bidding or not. So with easier difficulties, you draw more AI heroes and discard the highest ones. So their bidding average will kind of be down about 10 or 15 depending on how many extra you're adding. And then the hard, you go the opposite. You're drawing extra but you're discarding the lowest. So it makes the bidding a little bit tougher, makes it more likely you'll get uh, lower defenses overall and just have a harder time uh, surviving in the combat. But that's it. I mean, it's it's really easy just to switch it up a little bit as you get better and better at the game. So are you a solo gamer? Do you play a lot of solo games? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Peter, the my co-designer in the company, um, he's sort of against solo gaming and... You know, he <laughs> the only solo gaming he does basically is our games as we're uh, playtesting them before uh, we take them to publishers. Um, but yeah, I I I play solo all the time. I mean, I also play video games, but I kind of lately at least have found that solo board games are definitely more my thing. Uh, my big ones right now, uh, besides Dark Dealings, uh, Salvation Road, which just finished on Kickstarter for us a little bit ago. Sure. Um, Baseball highlights twenty forty five friday uh mage knight i love although i haven't gotten to that as much uh in the yeah, last couple of one. months yeah yeah mage knights is fantastic um i actually play a good amount of space alert solo um mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a brain bender with a uh, four or five characters all controlled by me but that one's good and then uh i mean i i am a bit of a war gamer so like i'll play uh Combat Commander and some of those kind of games and just sort of pretend I don't know what's in the other person's hand, you know, and kind of fudge the solo there, although I guess I wouldn't call that full-on solo gaming as much.
0: So you said that you were involved in Salvation Road?
2: Yeah. Um, have, have you heard of that?
0: I have heard of that. We oh, okay, cool. that Previously <laughs> on the podcast.
2: Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's that, that one was me and Peter. We were the co-designers on that one, and I was the uh, lead designer on the game. So yeah, we're, we're very proud. It was, it was a tougher Kickstarter campaign than we anticipated, but, uh, we had some awesome backers and we pulled it out in the end. So, uh, definitely sure, happy that about that. Was,
0: that one was done over by Van Ryder games, I think.
2: Yep. Van Ryder who, uh, they just, I just got a shipping notice for my copy of hostage negotiator. So I'm very excited about that
0: one. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to getting my copy of that too.
2: Oh uh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, Salvation Red, that's another one that, uh, Definitely a very different solo experience than uh, Dark Dealings, um, although they're both very fast. I, I mean, I, I'm the lead designer on Salvation Road, so I can play a solo game of that in 20 minutes. But <laughs> I don't expect anybody else to ever uh, <laughs> go as fast as that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it's been a, a good month for us on Kickstarter. We're we're very uh, appreciative of everybody who's who's helped us out, and thank you for uh, for covering both games.
0: My pleasure. So what led you to play solo games? What what? Uh, what's your path from there?
2: Um, I guess it was, originally it was mostly, you know, not always having a steady group, especially for the larger games. Like, uh, I can remember playing War of the Rings solo, again, trying to sort of pretend I didn't know what cards were in the other person's hand just because I loved the game so much. And, uh, you know, I'm married, but she's not always doesn't always have time, and isn't the biggest gamer, and my friends aren't always around. So it, it definitely began as that sort of a, a substitute for the the multiplayer experience. But these days, I mean, I don't know. I some of the games, like Mage Knight, is Mage Knight is kind of a beast. It takes so long. I <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to play it except solo. Solo, I can crank through it. I can really think about my turn without irritating anybody. Sure. Sure. So, so I think in some cases, solo is the best way to play certain games, even if they do have a multiplayer component. Um, and again, I mean, I've, I've been a video game player for years since I was a little kid, so it doesn't mm-hmm. seem that removed from it, you know, like me just kind of going against the game and being happy for myself, even if no one else is there to see it. No, that's, that's always a great way to play. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what do
0: you think is the most important part of designing a solo game to make it successful?
2: Hmm. For me at least it's the challenge level um, because there are all kinds of different solo games you know you can have like a four hour war game or you can have a five minute filler um, but if if I don't lose the game the first three four five times I play it at a decent difficulty level, that game's not going to hold my interest I'm gonna be done with it. You know, because, I mean, at least for me, I'm I'm sure not everyone plays solo games this way. But for me, it's really about kind of, you know, going against the machine, trying to figure out strategies, work through tactics, make great choices, take a few risks and survive if I'm lucky. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, Space Hulk Death Angel, you know, that's a nice, really difficult game that just punishes you and murders all your guys. I love that. Uh, Ghost Stories, you know, that's a horribly difficult game. I love it. Forbidden Island, great game. I play it with my family, but I'm not going to play that solo because unless I crank the difficulty up to the highest level, it's pretty easy. It's like my moves are obvious every turn. If I don't feel like I'm actually making choices, you know, what's the point? I'm not getting any, like, social fun and interaction out of it. If it's not challenging my mind, then I'm just not going to play it. Okay. Now, I mean, I, I will I will kind of caveat that with uh, story games, like games that rely almost fully upon story. That's a little bit different. Like I've soloed Tales of the Arabian Nights, you know, and there I, I don't care if the game is challenging. I just want to be enthralled with the goofy stuff that happens to my character. Um, but even something like, uh, like I love Eldritch Horror and... Although the story is great there, if the game was not kicking my butt, I would probably lose interest in it pretty quickly.
0: So you you said you made a company with someone else that you're running also with some other publisher companies?
2: Yeah, like? so it's it's great. Um, yeah, so uh, Peter Gusis and I are MVP board games, and we're not a publisher. We just design right now. Uh, who knows what's in the future, but for now, that's where it is. Um, and yeah, our, our first game, Salvation Road, was with uh, Van Ryder Games, as he said, dark dealings is with nevermore we're currently designing a third game with uh richard lanius uh, that we don't know who the publisher will be yet but yeah i mean that's been a fantastic experience he's an amazing designer um so
0: do you want to tell us anything about that one also or no
2: um let's we'll hold off on uh, yeah just because we're we're still working out some of the kinks but uh, hopefully, uh, it's it's getting pretty close. So there there might be some news releases about that, and and it will be soloable. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I design any games that don't have some solo element when I can help it.
0: Well, I know I know Richard Lanius also uh, happened on a different game that I was following, uh, Bound of the Ninth, and he just walked it and threw in a solo mode to that so yeah he's I was, doing this also nicely
2: yeah yeah he's he's a he's great i, I was actually there at Unpub 5 when he went up to uh, one of the designers at bottom of the ninth and was like here's a solo variant hope you like it <laughs> so yeah he's he's a cool guy like that he'll just take her with games and make them better or add some fun ideas to it mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, peter and i it's it's an interesting relationship basically one of us will come up with the foundation of a game and like the key theme of it and some of the main mechanics And that person will be the lead designer, but then we'll trade the game back and forth, make changes, try different things, like mess around with it, until we eventually have something that we're very happy with. And then, of course, the publisher will come in and and change it up even more, but it's kind of a nice give and take to have two people to throw ideas against, instead of just me trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the game. Um, And then, uh, so far... We've been very lucky with publishers, uh, AJ and uh, Brian and John at Nevermore. They're just excellent, really uh, supportive, really letting us keep our creative vision in the game intact. Just uh, great guys to hang out with.
0: So how would you meet him and start working on designing?
2: Um, Both of them, got to give a shout out to uh, Unpub, uh, the unpublished game convention, um, which was just in Baltimore uh, this year. Um, AJ, we met, uh, not at this Unpub, but at Unpub 4 last year. Uh, thanks in part to, uh, Chris Kirkman from Dice Hate Me Games. He was playing a playtest of Salvation Road and just brought AJ over and and they loved the game. (laughs) So, that's how that works out sometimes. Um, and then, uh, Unpub 5, uh, we, we had, uh, come close to working on a game with Nevermore in the past and still had a good relationship. So when they saw the, uh, sort of press release on Dark Dealings, they were really interested. So they came over and played the game pretty much right away, and I had to make a lot of changes, but by the end of the con, they were pretty much ready to sign on to it. So uh, although that's not the only point of the unpublished game convention, it's uh, worked out well for us. We've met a lot of nice publishers there.
0: Very cool. And how did you first start designing?
2: Um, I sort of got pulled into it, by Peter, so... He started
0: designing first?
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, we were... I, I randomly met him at a friendly local game store. Um, he was... I, I, I was buying Battleground Fantasy Warfare packs, which is another game that I used to play solo. And, uh, and he said they had a league, so I went and played at his house with a bunch of other guys. And at some point, he sort of... You know, hesitantly showed me this thing. He's like, Hey, I'm working on this game. You want to try it out? And, you know, it didn't really work. It was pretty terrible. And I was like, Hey, what if we tried this? And he's like, Oh, yeah, all right. So after a while, I kind of became the the lead playtester on that game, I guess you might say. And after I had given a thousand ideas about it, he was like, Well, let's just say that we both designed it. (laughs) And then uh, that's kind of where it started. At some point, we came up with other ideas, had different designs, started selling them to people. Um, But it all started out with Peter showing me his uh, little homegrown game and hoping I didn't laugh at him. So it's been (laughs) been good since then. Took some
0: trust, I'm sure.
2: Of course, it always does. So you guys are already funded
0: on Kickstarter for Dark Dealings, and uh, you're starting to get those expansions funded also. That's the idea. Do you want to give us any hints about what's going to come in those expansions?
2: Sure. Um, So the... The base one that's uh, included with the premium level—I wish I knew what that was called. It's something that's $20—is um, <laughs> uh, Dragon Focus. It's called
0: the here. Deluxe Expansion Pack.
2: Uh, look at you, man. You have the inside scoop. Um, yeah, so the, uh, the Deluxe Expansion Pack comes with the Dragon Expansion. It's got six Dragon Heroes, who basically you're not sure if they're a gold dragon or a silver dragon. If you've played d and you know what I'm talking about? Sure. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, you're not quite sure what their vulnerability is. They might be randomly invulnerable to one of the weapons you try to attack them with. And then that also comes with dragon defenses, which are the strongest in the game. Basically, they just blast any hero straight up. But, of course, they kill half your dungeon to do it at the same time. So they're a little uh, dangerous to use.
0: And how do you determine what their random defense is?
2: You you draw a card from the uh, defense deck and just see what type it is. So Uh pretty simple, quick little mechanic. Um. I think the next one after that is going to be the Illusionists. Um, I won't give all the details, but uh, basically most heroes in the game, if you watch my solo play video, you'll see what I mean. Most heroes in the game kind of encourage you tactically to use up the strikes on your defenses because uh, each, each defense card can have up to three strikes on it. So, like, the Wizards blow up a defense straight out. So it kind of makes sense to spin it down to its last strike before you blow it up. That way you're losing less overall. So the Illusionists flip that on its head completely, and you can only attack them with uh, weapons that are not on their last strike. So you have to kind of, like, go against what everybody else is telling you to do and keep your weapons unspun down and not use them until you re- until you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, the next expansion we're actually going to put up to a vote with the backers. We have about three different ideas of uh, what to do with it, but all of them are going to be more player interaction focused. So, uh, <clears throat> have varying levels of basic, basically player screwage, kind of Munchkin esque stuff. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, things where you can make one player's next hero have higher armor, that kind of stuff. Um, so not as good for solo play, that particular expansion, but, uh, fun and kind of cutthroat game groups. Okay. And then, um, oh, the, the my, my favorite one, but uh, we have to get pretty high to get that is, uh, the overlord expansion. And that adds in a, uh, you get an overlord card at the beginning of the game and, uh, it gives each of you some special advantage with certain types of cards so kind of like the uh, the lords and lords of Waterdeep or one of those kind of things, you get like minor differences. Exactly, unique hero powers at the beginning of the game. So that one should be a lot of fun. Um, just kind of change up the uh, the meta after you've played the game a whole bunch.
0: And so you said that you're going to be doing a vote for three expansions. What are you going to do with the other expansions? Are those going to come out at one point in time also?
2: Um. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like them to. It'll depend on. You know, not every gamer likes the direct player interaction where they feel like they're actually screwing up their partner and that kind of thing. Um, So, depending on the, I guess, depending on how well the game funds, of course, and uh, and the general support in the audience for that type of expansion, I I could see all three of them being released. We've we've tested all of them, Um, but it, it all depends on interest. I mean, if people are like, "Hey, I don't want a game where." I make my friend lose. You know, I, I want a game where we're each fighting our own battle at the end. Then we'll go with that. But I, I like the mechanics we have, and that they work well. So I, hopefully, we'll we'll get some good support for them. But I will say, you have the solo video that I made. I'm making a, another video with a group of, I think, four players tomorrow night. So
0: that's your game group or something.
2: It's a, it's actually a, I'm a high school English teacher during ah. the day. and uh the day job yeah and during the my lunch break um i had a group of uh, about five kids who would come in not every day but pretty often and they played the game quite a lot and loved it so uh you know i offered them they wanted their little moment in the spotlight so it's for uh seniors who just graduated before they go into college they're going to make a video for my kickstarter campaign (laughs) i'm sure that's the culmination of a dream for them
0: hey yeah, you know, any any spotlight you can get is always nice, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> so have there been any other Kickstarter projects that have inspired you with making yours? Hmm.
2: I mean, I'm... I'm I, this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I'm inspired every time I go on Kickstarter. Um, and not just by the board games. Uh, I've backed video games, music projects, movies. Um, I, I love the entire idea of crowdfunding in general. Like, some of my friends who are teachers have used uh, crowdfunding sites to get more computers or more musical instruments for their students. Uh, I think it's awesome altogether. But specifically board games? um, Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I've really enjoyed all the ones. I will say the, the the campaigns that kind of inspire me the most are the ones that are kind of like Salvation Road. Like, they don't fund in, you know, one or two days. They... Need to scrap and get every backer they can. Yeah, exactly. And the the other ones, let's face it, it can be kind of like a glorified pre-order if they aren't giving you a lot of extra stuff sometimes. Um, Especially when it's like an established game company that you you kind of suspect they could probably print this game anyway if they wanted to. Um, But yeah, like the little publishers who barely make it and you you really feel like you've helped to shape that game and help to make a difference and your dollars helped to make this dream come true. That's what I think Kickstarter should be about. And I love that kind of thing. You know, salvation road and dark dealings, they're great publishers, but neither of them is like a juggernaut, you know, publishing tons of games kind of group. Um, and I just think they're, uh, they're both awesome, you know, and it's, it's, it's great that we have hundreds of people that we've never met before coming online to support us. I, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Like it's, you know, the the goodness in humanity. I'm getting a little, a little bit over the top here now, but
0: <laughs> coming up on thousands of people soon.
2: Well, the, oh yeah, dark dealings is definitely doing well. Uh, yes, <laughs> that that kind of blows my mind. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very thankful.
0: <laughs> very cool. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Any last comments?
2: No, but uh, thank you so much, and everyone, uh, please listen to this podcast every time they post. <laughs>
0: thank you very much Uh, thank you have a good evening you too so for this one I wanted to review Dead Men Tell No Tales this is a new game that came out of Minion Games and it's a co-op it does play two to five but if you want there's two ways of playing solo and I'll get to it after I discuss the game so for Dead Men Tell No Tales, you are a set of pirates who are venturing onto a burning ship controlled by a bunch of skeletons. And you're going to be attempting to get enough treasure, I think it's five treasure if you're playing on the easiest mode, get the treasure and get back out. Um, with this game, so it comes with a bunch of tiles that are going to represent the ship. So you start off with your base ship, and then throughout the game, you'll, the first thing you'll always do is you'll explore And what that works is is you'll take one of the ship tiles and you'll put it somewhere out of the board and you'll draw a tile to figure out what came on that ship, whether it was a guard, a pirate, or a deckhand. Um, And those tiles will start to form the ship. Each player will have a small little pirate meeple and a pirate card to go with that meeple, which will give you a special ability. So each one of the different cards is a different special ability. And you'll use that pirate meeple, you'll travel around the board. And this one, it's an action selection game, so you have different actions that you can do. You can put out some of the fire, reduce the fire level, or you can fight off enemies or increase your sword level, get get better equipment up. Um, Each of the players will also have assigned to them at the beginning of the game a different piece of equipment. So for instance, there's the bucket that'll let you put out fire in an adjacent room or a pistol, that will let you take a free fight deck hands every turn or fight people from an adjacent room. So everyone will have both their own ability and their own equipment to use throughout the course of the game. And you're going through the game and you're trying to use actions to move into the rooms, beat off the enemies. Now the way the, the fighting enemies works is each of the enemies is a token. And so there's going to be some guards that have higher levels. So they'll be like the sevens and the eights. And you'll have your basic pirates and they'll be like fours and fives. And when you walk into a room, you'll roll a die. And you'll, the, the die roll will be how high up you roll. So if you roll a six, so you beat anyone who's a four and a five. But if you don't roll a six, you have the option to spend some of your equipment bonus. Your swordsmanship. So each player has a swordsmanship track. And over the course of the game, you can spend actions to increase that swordsmanship track. So for instance, you'll go up to a plus two. You start, with, you start with just zero. But you can go up to a plus one, plus two. And then if you didn't roll high enough, or if you're going up against a seven or eight, you definitely need to add extra. And you spend your, your equipment, reduce that back down to zero, and you add that onto your die rolls. So that helps reduce some of that bit of luck. After you've spent all of your actions, a card, you'll you'll draw a card off the top of the bag, So the fir- off the top of the deck. So those cards do two things. The first thing that they do is that it'll say, for instance, all red twos. Each of the tiles on the board has one of two dice, either a red or an orange, and they're all set, obviously, to one through six. They're all D6s. And first of all, just as a side, the, the dice are a marbled colored dice so they're marbled red and orange so which looks really nice i think that the the marbling really increases the components but we'll get back to that in a second um but each of these marble dice represents the fire level in the room if any room reaches six so then it explodes you obviously don't want that um when it explodes so that's going to track on the explosion track and once you have six explosions so the game is over um, that's one of the ways that you can die. Um, the cards that you draw at the end of your turn will say increase all the levels. And for example, any red fours increase the level. So look across the board. You'll find in the red fours, you'll bring it up to level five. And you never know what could be coming out of it. It might be all reds and orange six, all reds and orange fives, which would be very bad. Or it could be all red and orange ones, which is not usually so bad. Sometimes can be bad. Um, after you increase all the levels you'll have to check and see if any of the barrels exploded some of the tiles come with barrels and these barrels will have numbers on them so for instance you'll have a two barrel or a three barrel if the die in that room reaches the number on the barrel so then normally when you have a regular explosion on a six it explodes to all adjacent rooms barrels just explode the direction that they're faced so It still counts towards your explosion track, so it's still a way of losing the game, but it's not as bad. But on the other hand, if you have a level 2 barrel, it's going to explode a lot sooner, so it takes a lot more work to make sure it doesn't explode, or you can just, you know, live with it and let it explode. Unfortunately, when things explode, they still increase the fire level in adjacent rooms, so if you want to just not deal with it, make sure that you do not deal with it in a controlled time. Um... You lose the game if you ever have too many explosions. If you ever have all the deck hands come out, part of the things that some of the tiles have is that they'll come out with a hatch whenever you draw a hatch, so the more deck hands come out. So the cards can say, so the cards at the end of the turn will say, sometimes put more deck hands on the hatches or spread more deck hands out of the hatches to the adjacent rooms. And if you ever are told to spread out more deckhands and you don't have any more deckhand tiles, more deckhand meeples, so then you're, you're going to lose the game that way. Um, and those are really the two main ways of losing the game. You can also lose the game if any of your pirates die after you have all the treasure when you're going for the final rush to get out. But that's, that's I think, relatively rare. Um, I, the, at the very least, we've never come anywhere close to having that happen. Let me talk about the components for a second first. First, I I talked about the meeples that you have for all the characters. Now, these aren't just plain meeples. These are actually little pirate meeples. They all have little hats and little swashbucklers. In addition, each uh, player also gets a fatigue tracker. Um, These are actual player boards with a little spinner. When you get the game, they come disassembled. And you have to clip together the spinner. So it's not just a piece of cardboard that you're using to track it around. There's an actual spinner that you dial around. And fatigue is a crucial element to the game. Um, the way fatigue works is every time you take an action to move into a room, so then you'll take fatigue equal to the amount of the room you're moving into minus the room that you left. So if you move from a two to a four, you take two more fatigue. And so around the fatigue track, if you, fin- if you max out the fatigue track, you just die which would be bad. Um, but along around the fatigue tracks, there's different spots for, six, f- uh, for 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, etc. Or 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And if you reach or exceed one of those numbers, you cannot go into a room that has that much fire in it. So if you already pass a 4, you can't go back into any of the rooms with a 4. And you have to then take actions to rest and reduce your fatigue. Which makes, which makes handling fatigue in this game very much a core and crucial element. Um, the other component that I want to talk about are the meeple pieces for the deckhands. Now, Chris, I don't know if you're taking a look at any of the pictures for the game, but the meeples for the deckhands are these, I, I almost call them cute, there's the little skull meeples with like, a, a skull with an eye patch on them printed yeah. onto the Meeple.
1: Yeah, they look awesome. I've got a picture up right now.
0: Sure. I, I, these, I know Minion has been very proud of the fact that the only reason these got into the game is because it was a Kickstarter-backed game, and this took off on Kickstarter. Originally, these were just going to be plain white cubes, and then it got upgraded to these screen-printed Meeple tokens. They look amazing. And when they come on board, these these little... Um, meeples basically fill up your board and you almost you're not really afraid of them because they just take an action to kill. They're not at all difficult to kill and if they fill up your board you have to make them out so then you you lose the game. But they they look very cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they they're an excellent component to have brought to the game and I'm really happy that in the game. They really bring a lot just having these 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 cute skull tokens. I'm very happy to have these in the game. They look really cool.
1: Yeah, they look good set up on the board for sure.
0: I would say that's one of the best upgrades that they had to the game during Kickstarters to include these in the game. Um, the other component is the that I want to mention is the action coins. Um, each player technically is supposed to get a set of action coins. so five or what for one player you get six because one player gets six actions. but you get these five coins, and on one side they're bright pretty gold, and on the back they're tarnished black. And as you take actions, you're supposed to use that to track how many actions you've taken. So you flip them over, and however many you have left is how many actions you have. Um, The components in this game are top quality. I really like them. The art on the game, it's an excellent fire art on the game. And every player has their own unique piece of art. So there's the different players, there's Lydia, there's Jade... And each of the characters' names is a cute reference... Excuse me. Each of the players' names is a cute reference to their uh, color. So Jade would be green, for example. Um, or there's another one that's um, Black... Black... Something guy. can't remember his name, but it, it's BGG. Oh, Black Gus guy, something like that. He's BGG, is what he is. He was, he was a shout-out to the BGG crew. Um... But so each one of them is a nice little reference and each one of them has their nice art and components. But the reason why I wanted to review this game specifically is one of the reasons why I was hesitant to originally back this game is because I saw and I said it looks you know almost like Flashpoint. You have the fire increasing and spreading through it, and it's another co op game where you're trying to run around and rescue I mean, instead of rescuing people, you get to rescue treasure.
1: Yeah, as you've been talking about the game, Flashpoint was jumping into my mind a little bit.
0: Right, and I think that when I, when I looked at this game when it was on Kickstarter, I was like it looks like Flashpoint. Why, I mean, for me, Flashpoint is one of my favorite co-ops to have. I really like Flashpoint. I was thinking, why do I need this over Flashpoint? And I have to say that some of the mechanics in this are really unique and make this game very different from Flashpoint. And I think the one that makes it the most unique. I know that some other people uh, that that some people and Minion also have talked about the fact that you know there's treasure and you're fighting pirates and you have to roll a die and fight them off. But I think that two of the most the, the two of the really unique things that make it very different from Pla- Flashpoint and really worth a spot in my collection unique from Flashpoint are the deck hands and the fatigue track. With flashpoint, you really had only one thing you had to keep control of was the fire, and the fire was your main source of bad stuff happening, and it could spread anywhere across the board and same with pandemic or or a lot of games that are similar to this this sort of take care of of a crisis popping out of various locations
1: but your co-op. your firemen never get fatigued in the game it's just controlling the fire, but they can go forever
0: right they can go forever. The idea of fatigue here really helps build that up because with fatigue as the fire increases in a room you have to enter the room and if the fire gets too high in the room when you enter it your fatigue goes up even more and there'll be sometimes we're like well if i reduce the fire in this room i'm going to take more fatigue when i leave it because the this room will be reduced but i'm not reducing the next room So now the gap between the two rooms is higher, so it's going to cause even more fatigue to get to the next room. So you'll sometimes go, well, I can't reduce the fire because I can't move on, (laughs) but if I don't reduce the fire, I'm going to have an explosion over here. And so having to manage the fire with the fatigue brings such a nice touch. Also because there's no... Normally, until you have an explosion, the fire level in one room doesn't affect the other except for fatigue. When you move from one room to the other, your fatigue is the difference between the two rooms. But otherwise, the fire in one room doesn't really affect the next room. And the fire is what causes explosions. You don't have any other sort of real explosions in the games. So it's, it, the, the whole fatigue element means that you really have to balance out the game. What makes fatigue even worse for balancing out, or what makes the fatigue even, even more strong, once you've got a treasure... You don't take fatigue normally as the difference. You take fatigue equal to the room you're entering. You don't deduct it by the room you're leaving. So if you decided, well, I'm just going to leave everything at four. And as long as I can keep everything at four, then I won't have any issues and I can just walk around everywhere completely willy-nilly and do whatever I want. But the problem is if you do that, so then you're not going to be able to... To get out with the treasure, because then you're going to take four every time you move into a room, and you will die. <laughs> that That is almost unavoidable. There's one character that you can loophole and get around that, because he takes fatigue normally, even when he has treasure. But otherwise, you have to get it lower down. You can't leave it all the way up high. And so that means that you're lowering it down, which makes it hard to move around, and the whole fatigue dynamic and element makes this so much more different than Flashpoint, and really makes it so that having to balance that out means that you're not having to fight the fire, you're having to deal with fatigue while you're dealing with fighting fire, and fatigue becomes almost worse than fire, fire just ends your game. It's the fatigue that's the really tricky part. The other thing that makes it really different is the fact that there's two dangers here, and one of them doesn't operate like you would expect it to fire in one room like i said doesn't actually interact with fire the next room unless you have an explosion what interacts and which causes you know what i would think of as an explosion normally is actually the deckhands the way the deckhands work is you have the deckhands they pour into a room out of the out of the um the trap doors if you have a deckhand in a door with a trap door when the card comes up to expand so they'll spread out to everywhere else but you actually if you don't have any deckhands in a room with a trapdoor it doesn't actually spread so you'll have to control where they are and where the deckhands are to, be able to fight them but otherwise the deckhands don't spread out farther they really will start clustering together in one space and they'll almost start protecting all the rooms adjacent to them to make it harder to get to the space that they're pouring out. And having to deal with those deckhands, which operate both similar and differently to the way I would expect in a game like this to work, also just brings a lot of different dynamics to the game that make this a very, very different game to something like Flashpoint.
1: I like that the board is modular, too, so you've got a lot of uh, variety of play. You're never going to have the same board twice as you lay out your ship. Um, another, As long as we're talking about differences from Flashpoint, I think that's going to be a big one, too.
0: I think from playing that, I don't actually think that's so big because although the board is different, when you lay out the different tiles so it changes where the doors come out and what fire you start with it initially, so while that, that as an element is different, I don't think that's as big a difference as the other two because I didn't really get a feeling like that's that's a huge thing to do. You know, that, that makes a difference. So for instance, sometimes if, you, for example you'll want to finish off the whole deck of cards of tiles before you finish the game and if you finish off and your last tile has an open door that creates a second exit from the ship and you'll want to try and place that very strategically to make it easier to get the treasure out at the end um so it makes a different thing but i don't think that's a huge difference really that much different because with flashpoint you know i'm already up to flashpoint a couple expansions each of the different boards already is very dynamic, whereas this one, the different layouts were slightly different, but didn't really give a different feeling to the game each time. Got it. Just from having played it. I think that, that more difference is having to manage the fatigue and how things come out. It made a nice gameplay element to be modular, I think. Um, but also note that in addition to where the tiles come out, the tiles come out separately to the tokens that come on top of it. Each time a new tile comes out, you'll also draw a token out of the bag. And the tokens will be either a guard, a deckhand space, um, or a regular pirate. And so that also changes things up. So for instance, there'll be some games where you'll get all the deckhands that come up right at the beginning of the game and so those games will be very deckhand based games whereas other games you'll start out with a lot of pirates in the beginning of the game and it won't be such a heavy deckhand game and that changes how each game is going to be played
1: nice got it <laughs> yeah it sounds a uh, very different from flashpoint really i mean similar theme uh but it sounds like a very different style of play
0: very different style of play. I definitely think there's room for both in a collection, and I really, really like this one, both multiplayer and solo. But there's a few caveats I have to say about playing it solo. Um, I know that some people don't like playing solo, where you have to play two characters simultaneously. Now, I know that up on BGG, there's one variant in the variants section on, the, on Dead Man Tells No Tales using Solitary Terry. Um, And the way Solitary Terra works is that instead of playing with two players, you just use the Solitary card. And then each turn, you're allowed to eliminate a deck hand or ignore fatigue effects um, in one room. And you'll use this for a little bit different, so that way you can use him. And he does something slightly different. Um, You don't get to save any action. Normally you get to save action tokens uh, and pass them on to the next player. With this, with this one, so you don't get to save any action tokens, but you get to use a slightly more powerful action at the end of the base game. Um, so, this is a way of playing the game if you don't want to play two players. I tried this one out, and I think that it's an okay variant. Um, and it could be that other people have different opinions on how to play uh, with multiple players. But I personally really like playing the game. I actually do like playing the game with multiple players. And I think that I mentioned before about those action coins, and I think those are the key to playing a multiple, play- multiple players easily. What you do is you want to pick up a stack of those coins, and you just want to have one stack of coins. And then each time as you're playing it, so you'll play to the character that you're not active with. That way at the end of it, you'll pick them up and you'll flip them over, and now you know that you're playing that character. And then you keep discarding from one to the other, so you don't have two stacks on each character, and you can very easily keep track of which character it is and which turn it is and you can run the two characters around the board and use them to manage two different aspects simultaneously rather than being locked into one at uh, only one at a time. so I think that using those coins well make it really easy to play solo, and I personally enjoyed it a lot playing solo even with just those even with that caveat.
1: I found, uh, and I haven't played this game, of course, but uh, on these style of games with the, where you've got co-op with multiple players with different abilities, I generally prefer, uh, as you said, just playing, you know, two or three characters myself, uh, and doing the cooperative game myself, rather than trying to figure out a way to do it strictly solitaire with one character.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I think that the, I think it plays very well this way. I definitely like it that way so yeah so for dead man tells no tales i'm getting a lot of enjoyment of it it's very good and it definitely b- uh, belongs a unique place in my collection even having owned a number of different co-ops that i initially would have thought are very similar very good game very unique and very good components
1: yeah just looking at the picture the components look awesome
0: so that that's dead man Tell no tales all right so since i had chris hansen on the show with us i thought that uh, you know he's like the king of print and play if i can say
1: (laughs) yeah i'm uh todd sanders once referred to me as the uh, empresario of print and play which maybe is more appropriate i I don't make a ton of games uh uh, but uh, perhaps you
0: inspire others perhaps i
1: inspire others too yeah (laughs) we'll go with that
0: so, uh, I thought that you had a lot of experience in it, so why don't you tell us what goes into a good print-and-play? How can you make a good print-and-play better?
1: So, uh, print-and-play games, like, if you're just looking at the component level, I mean, from the gameplay perspective, it's it's like any other game. You want uh, sharp mechanics and good decision-making, uh, You know, especially in a solitaire game. Um, I think there's sometimes a temptation to draw a card and get an event or roll the dice and have some random event come up and not a lot of decision making so from a gameplay perspective it's the same as any other game Um, but looking at a print and play specific game i've been thinking about this a lot since you brought it up There's some decisions that have to go into uh, components. So we've been looking at Dead Men Tell No Tales and some of the Kickstarter games uh, in this episode that we talked about. There's some really cool custom components, uh, especially like the skull meeples and those hex of hexes those are awesome and and i think they're a little more easier to do than they have been in the past with laser cutting machines and things mm-hmm. like that but from a print and play perspective if you've got a, you know a modular board that's made of various hex-shaped pieces not that that is impossible for people to cut and there's some very good print and play games that have components like that but i think you need to be conscious of you know your audience is going to be printing this game out and cutting it out themselves. So if there's a lot of uniquely shaped pieces or things that are difficult for uh, players to craft, that's going to be an issue for, you know, where it will limit the number of your players or, or make it harder for the casual gamer to try out the game. So that's something to think about a lot. Um, the other big thing we've talked about a little bit with the... Well, you're, you're, oh. talk,
0: you're talking about focusing on how how to make it easy to craft. Yeah, exactly. Are you just talking about keeping the amount of components low? Making it simple? I mean, how...
1: No, not, not necessarily. Uh, Quest of Melanor, for example, one of the Kickstarter games, has about 100 cards in it. Uh, that's that's a lot of cards, but cards are very easy to cut i'm I'm talking more about having uniquely shaped pieces that require really detailed cutting things like that um, there's certainly people who do them i've done them a lot, but I think the number of people who do them as opposed to people who are willing to just cut out a deck of cards is going to be a little lower.
0: You're saying that, I mean, even for cutting out 100 cards, you say cards are easy because it's. I assume you're talking about just using like a um, guillotine cutter just to cut across the whole line.
1: Yeah, you can use use a guillotine cutter or an exacto knife and a ruler, and and you're making just a few cuts per page, and you have a deck of cards. Um, And again, I I realize print-and-play games aren't for everybody. Some people look at cutting out a deck of cards as pretty challenging, but when you're talking... You know, people who make a lot of print and play games. I think cards are viewed as pretty easy.
0: But I think that even using something like hex, let's let's say, to talking about, are you talking about in terms of difficulty? How difficult would a uh, hex set of hex tiles be, for example?
1: Yeah, I, I've made games that have uh, hex tiles uh, grow, which came out I think in the 2012 Solitaire print and play contest. Used hex tiles. And there 's just there 's a lot more cutting involved, and it 's a lot more detailed um, you know and and that 's a good game I, I thought it was worth the effort in the end to to craft that, but it 's definitely more challenging than cutting out cards or square pieces,
0: okay. I definitely hear that cutting out squares is a lot easier than hexes, yeah, <laughs> I think one of the things I find hardest is when it 's supposed to be a circle tile
1: yeah there's there's there 's circle punches you can use and and I actually have one, but um, I, I still find them a little annoying. I I definitely prefer having square counters or square pieces, uh, just just to make it easier to craft. I, I'm I really enjoy print and play games, but I do get a little tired of cutting out if there's a lot of circles or a lot of uh, hex pieces that require detailed work. It, you know, it 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 gets weary pretty quickly to make those mm-hmm. games if there's a lot of them.
0: Basically anything other than squares.
1: Yeah, or or uh, To the Last Man uh, is another example where you had some triangle pieces. And maybe it's a bad example since it's been published and it's no longer a print-and-play game. But <laughs> <laughs> it's one I'm thinking of where it had triangle pieces, but they were arranged very, very nicely uh, where it was easy to cut. And, and maybe that's the bigger well, takeaway. How did away. they manage that? Uh, they were They were just arranged in a a, a grid where you could make one cut um, down the side and then turn it and make the other cut down the side and you had all these very nice triangle pieces there wasn 't a lot of white space in between it was laid out uh, so that you had a minimum number of cuts to make and I, I think that 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 's just something that can go into as you 're thinking about the game how do you make it easier to to cut out rather than... Um,
0: well, would it have been better for that game to do squares instead of triangles?
1: Uh, the triangles were actually a pretty important part of the game um, as the units were moving across the board. So I think they were important there and, and worthwhile to have. I, I, I don't want to come across like I, I hate circle pieces or hex pieces and I never want to see them. I, I just... If you're designing a game for print-and-play, I just think you need to be conscious of that, that those are harder to cut out, and people might be less interested in spending the time doing it. Uh, but there are certainly people, myself included, who are willing to do it. Okay. Part of what where i am I've been running these solitaire print-and-play contests for quite a while, and I can see... How you know which games are more popular and which games are struggling to get people to play them, and in many cases you know if the game is is very simple to make it it will get a lot of people trying it out and offering feedback for it uh, and if the game has a lot of uh pieces that are more difficult to cut, then the number of players is significantly lower i've seen
0: so it's a number the number of pieces also you're thinking
1: I think so I think. If there's, you know, even if you have square pieces or or cards where they're pretty easy to cut, if you have um, hundreds and hundreds of them, um, people might 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 lose interest. I I, I'll bring up from this year's contest, uh, "Countdown to Disaster" uh, by Joseph Propati, and I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right. he's actually reduced the number of tiles that came with that game and and that's what i might talk about a little later in more detail but the original version of that game had i think i, I don't know 150 tiles or something like that that's um, a lot. and it it took quite a while uh, just to cut out those pieces um it's a ter- How many is it down to now? Uh, it's a terrific game. He's cut it down now to 88 tiles, I think. So there's still quite a few, but oh th- there were a lot that were duplicated. I think he had four copies of every tile, and now he's reduced that down significantly, where not every tile is duplicated as many times. So um, it, it's still it's, it's a hefty project to make, but I think 88... Tiles, you know, you, then you're looking at just a few sheets of paper rather than, I think there was eleven or twelve sheets of paper originally of just tiles. Uh, that can be a little I mean, overwhelming.
0: it is is still six sheets of paper, isn't
1: it? Uh, I think it would work out to be about that. I haven't looked at the PNP file recently, but since I had made the original one, I was able to just reduce the number of tiles. I didn't print it out again. <laughs>
0: I think also I'm looking at it. Uh, I'm looking at it now. It appears that when you look at the wiring tiles, they're on a black background instead of being on a white background.
1: Yeah, that, that's uh, the next thing I was going to talk about a little bit. Is uh, he actually has two different versions of this game? There's a black background that has the you know the cool artwork and then there's a white background with simple artwork which is what i've printed uh, especially since the game is still in a components testing mode and could be changing i don't want to burn through all of my ink uh, for a game that i might be reprinting uh, as it's improved and and altered in the future Um, but i think for especially a game in the contest or or really in some ways a lot of print and play games if if you have a lot of artwork a lot of especially full color or or lots of black in your games uh like the tiles and countdown to disaster that can dissuade people too when when you look at a game and think well that's going to eat up my whole ink cartridge <laughs> um it's another thing to be conscious of is is I think it's fine to have a lot of art but you might want to create a version of low art. Um, I, th- I think these, these Kickstarter games we've looked at have done a terrific job of letting you pay a little extra money for the full art or or print out a lower art version that isn't going to affect your printer too much. Because that's something that people definitely think about. Printer ink is not cheap, as, as everybody knows.
0: Yeah, indeed. So, you've talked about trying to keep it um, low ink. You've talked about trying to keep it simple to cut components and not too many components. Any other important tips?
1: I think um, those are the the two big takeaways I've had from running the contest for a while. Also, uh, you know, just looking at the contest specifically, but probably elsewhere on BGG as well. Excuse me. Uh, As you know, I've also been doing the blog, the print and play news blog. And I get a lot of questions from people asking, how can I promote my game? How can I get people to play my game? Because there's a ton of board games. I think just getting a board game noticed in general is kind of hard. And a print and play game kind of doubly so because people have to make an extra effort to, to, to play the game and craft it. Um, if you've made a print and play game take pictures of it Uh, write a session report even as a designer people love learning a little bit about a game before they take the effort to print it and craft it themselves and you can't just upload the files to BGG or to one of the design contests and expect people to come flocking to it just because the files are available there 's some advertising element of promoting the game and letting people know how the game is played and that the game is fun uh, that you have to do and Some people seem really reluctant to do it, like perhaps they think as the designer they shouldn 't be writing a session report and i don 't think that 's the case and a lot of people have some qualms about having the designer write a review of their own game, which I understand but Having the designer write a session report, I don't think anyone would get too upset about. And it really makes it easier for people to come in and say, okay, I see how this works. I think this would be worth my time to print it and craft it.
0: I don't think so much they need to be writing a review of it, but they do need to be writing a good summary. Many reviews start off telling you about the game, the sort of mechanics that you expect the game, how it plays. But even if they're, what they need to do is they need to pitch the game. I mean, they should really imagine that everyone who comes to the to the forums I think is a potential almost a publisher, and try and pitch the game to them because really each person is publishing the game in a very small way, and you need to you need to be trying to convince them you need to sort of pitch to them
1: yeah i I don't want to call anybody out, certainly, but i I've had people email me um, since I write that blog and say you know." I haven't had very many people download my game, it's been out for a month, and I haven't got any reviews or any ratings, and I go look at the game page, and there's no pictures, the description is two sentences, and you read it, and you have no idea how the game is played, and and you're right, it, it, it needs to be pitched a little more, you know, I love print-and-play games, I love that community, and, and trying out as many games as I can, but I've gone and looked at some of these game pages and thought, yeah, there's nothing here that makes me want to try this. I I can't imagine somebody who's not as interested in print-and-play games as I am wanting to do (coughs) this. Excuse me.
0: Yeah, I I think that one game that uh, I recently just stumbled on, I think does it really well. Um, Deep Space D6, which I think you've seen before, also.
1: Yeah, that's one of the games from the contest this year uh, for the 2015 Print and Play Solitaire Design Contest.
0: Which has it officially started yet?
1: It has. Yeah, we're we're in the middle okay. of it. Uh, as of right now, we're just a little, m- about a month away from the from the deadline for entering new games. So okay. we're right in the middle of it.
0: So I know that I'm looking at uh, this one, Deep Space D6. Uh, This one looks like a lot of fun, just if I can mention it briefly. It's got some... I mean, you can use custom dice, but uh, he actually, by request from me, um, published a version of the game that just lets you use regular dice and has regular dice pips on the board instead of the custom dice icons. Um, So it's very easy to print off, but I think that one thing that really works great as a pitch is he shows how the different actions work in the game through a set of animated... Uh, images animated gifs um, that show what each of the actions do and it's a very limited set of actions i think there's one two three four five and then the sixth threat detected so there's only five actions to the game and so it's not a very complicated game very easy to print it's just got the one board and a set of cards and then you use regular dice for it but really just browsing around and seeing those gifs animating and showing you very clearly what everything does. It was a really strong pitch. I liked
1: that. Yeah, he he, he has done this is Tony Goh uh, he's done an awesome job of putting this game together and I think it's paid off in getting a lot of people interested in printing and playing this game just looking through this discussion thread I think there's a lot of people who've made comments on it and have tried it out and made suggestions, yourself included um, so very well done. Good job for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like a really fun game. I'm looking forward to seeing the final, uh, final print of it.
1: Yeah, and this is, Are there any other- this is pretty yeah. low art uh, uh, currently right now. It's very easy to print and isn't going to use tons and tons of ink. Um, and I love what he's done. You mentioned the custom dice. Uh, I I sometimes put those in a little bit of a difficult to print. I mean, you've got to print them on sticker paper or somehow glue them onto blank dice and have blank dice available. Uh, so if you do custom dice, what... what he- or,
0: I mean, for me, what I use for custom dice, I also get some wood cubes
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, from your local craft hobby store. They have them very easily available and just stick a paper onto wood cubes. Yeah. easier to get than blank dice.
1: Yeah, but I, I love that he's made um, a converter guide so that you can use regular dice and see, okay, this goes on this part of the ship and this this handles this particular action of the dice.
0: I mean, even for his most current one, the the uh, I asked him to make it so um but he made a current version of the game board, which even though it's not all the main image, but there's a version of the game board that just has all of the regular pips on it, so you don't even d- need to use the converter
1: yeah yeah that it's awesome he's He's done a terrific job.
0: Are there any other uh, ones from the current contest that you want to just call out as being good examples of things to do?
1: Yeah, I, I mentioned Countdown to Disaster a little bit before. Um, this is this is a puzzle game um, where you, you're, you are working on repairing a robot. And the original theme of this game was you were a, a bomb demolition expert trying to wire a bomb. And I think um, I actually made the suggestion that it might be a little too violent of a theme. Uh, I think especially since it was set in the Sears Tower. <coughs> you know, maybe... Maybe that would be too too close to home, especially if, you know, since there's been buildings that have been blown up in terrorist attacks and stuff. So now it's been changed to working on robots in a toy factory, <laughs> so definitely a little nicer family-friendly theme. Good plan. And you're trying to wire this robot to work correctly uh, because it's been set to shut down and erase all of its data, so you've got to go and fix the wiring in the robot and you're sliding tiles around it. It's definitely a puzzle game. Um, as you mentioned, the board and the tiles have a black background, but there is a low ink version available, which, uh, hardly uses any ink at all. It's, it's very simple, but basically you've got four colors of tiles and a four by four grid. And you're trying to connect the wires at the top of the grid to the bottom of the grid. And these wires are going every which way. Um, You've got a set of cards that can shift the tiles around and switch places and rotate them. And I think it was 16 turns to to do it in. Every turn you get to play through all the cards in your hand and organize the tiles and draw new tiles. Really challenging, really fun puzzle game. Um, That's one I definitely recommend checking out from the contest. I've played it a few times and uh, really like it, but it's, it's a bigger build than... Uh, Deep Space D6, which which is a very easy one to print. This one still has several tiles and and several sheets of cards, so it's a little bit more involved. But at least everything is nice straight lines, so it's easy to cut out. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one that I have really enjoyed, and I just printed this one out. uh, Originally, I saw it and just thought, oh, this is a funny theme, and I wasn't expecting a lot from the gameplay. But Crazy Cat Lady... ...by Sean Dallas McDonald. This game is... um, ...it's a deck builder game... ...but you only have... ...like 18 cards or something. It's, It's ridiculously simple. It's like a micro game... ...deck builder. And in this game you are trying to... ...collect as many cats as you can... ...while holding down a job and uh expanding your house so that you can hold more cats um (laughs) it is it is brutally difficult I mean it 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 is a like I say you pull this game out and you think oh this is just a silly silly game uh the artwork is very cartoony you think this isn't going to be a real game but it really is uh it, it surprised me by how hard the decisions were to make and how difficult the game was um you're basically as you get a job each job gives you a number of action points that you can use to build your deck or expand your house or buy cats each action costs one point and so the better job that you have the more actions you can compete complete every turn you'll get an event which is almost always negative it has your cats running away or are you getting fired um what what I think really makes this game unique is that there's always a few event cards that are visible, and you roll a dice that basically tells you what event card you're going to draw. So you don't know which event you're going to get, but you know which events to potentially prepare for, which mm-hmm. I really like about the game. Um, the The artwork is hilarious, the, the, the gameplay is fun, so... I really enjoyed this one. And, uh, you know, if if the theme might turn you off, I I still recommend trying it out just for seeing how a deck builder game can be reduced to, I think, its absolute minimum number of cards that you could have. It's uh, 36 cards in total and uh, really, really a brilliant design.
0: Very neat. I think it's probably important that she should go ahead and get her game listed, so it's much easier to find.
1: Yeah, Countdown to Disaster... Oh no, that has not been listed, I apologize. Uh, I don't think that one is on BGG yet. No, countdown it, to
0: Disaster it, has? It, it, it
1: is, it is on BGG.
0: I don't think Deep Space D6 or Crazy Cat Lady are listed.
1: Yeah, Countdown to Disaster is on BGG. Crazy Cat Lady and Deep Space D6 are not yet, but... A lot of times what I see with these contests is that people don't add their game to BGG until after the contest is completed just because they make so many modifications to the game as they get playtester feedback. So they don't really consider the game complete until after the contest is done. Uh, And I know one of the designers who's participated a lot, Todd Sanders, um, he has two games in the contest this year, both of which are also excellent. Um, and neither one of them have been added to BGG, he 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 still considers them kind of playtest or prototype when they're in the contest. And then when the contest is done, he feels like, okay, I've got all the feedback from the players, I'm ready to actually release this to the general public.
0: All right, so uh, I think that's it.
1: Yeah, those are the, the two games I wanted to talk about right now. I've probably played those the most out of any games in the contest so far. There's definitely a lot I need to catch up on. I've actually not played Deep Space D6 yet, and uh, definitely want to after after your comments on it. But there's, right now, as of, as of the time we're recording this, there's 28 games that have components and rules ready so that you can go in there and print them and try them out. Uh, but I do like to caution people, especially if you're new to the contest, As you print these games out, they do change a lot as people get feedback that maybe this card doesn't work or or these rules need to be clarified. So it's a little bit like playtesting a game where you're going to have new components come out all the time. So if you're of the type of person that wants to print a game once and and never have to worry about it again, the contest can be a little difficult when you see new cards coming out or new rules coming out that you'd have to reprint uh, to get the latest version. But uh, after the contest is done, the games are usually in a much more final state.
0: I personally wish that some of these were made even easier um, for production later on, even something as simple as you know, making an uh, arts go or, or somewhere else. You could just buy it quickly or posting it up on GameCraft or something like that instead of having to print them off. Some of these games are just very good games, and I really like them. But I think even that final hurdle... Uh, be able to print them off, I think we could get them into the hands of a lot more people if they were posted up on somewhere like the GameCraft or ArtsCow or something like that.
1: There's been a few uh, that have been. I know Todd Sanders usually puts his games up on Printer Studio uh, where you can buy them fairly cheaply and have them printed for you. Many of his games just feature a deck of cards or two so you can buy those and then uh, that actually supports him a little bit. He gets a small amount of money from Printer Studio, which I don't think ArtsCow... Gives the designers uh, any any money back. A lot of people still use that service, though. Um, I and w- at least one game from the contest, Reconquista, which came out last year, has been published. So you can actually yeah,
0: we actually reviewed it a couple of uh, yeah, weeks ago. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I remember that episode. So that's one of the few that has been uh, actually published. The winner of the 2011 contest. Uh, Inspector Moss Investigates it is currently in development with a multiplayer version, but I haven't heard anything recently about where that is, uh, but I know that it was up for uh, getting published at one point, at least. But yeah, generally the games in this contest is uh, you got to print them out yourself, so... <laughs>
0: Just that final hurdle. I think we can make it easier for some of the, you know, like especially after they if they go ahead and win the contest, I think they would just be easier.
1: Yeah, and I and I wish there was more <clears throat> more interest. I, I think I've I've wondered if it's going to change. I, there, there's been a lot more interest in solitaire games recently in general, and I think people have noticed like the the hostage negotiator Kickstarter, for instance that one really took off and it it was a solitaire only game with no illusions of multiplayer at all and it it did tremendously well on Kickstarter and got lots of stretch goals and and raised its funding and then some Mm -hmm. so I've wondered if some of these games that are going to be you know in the contest would be you know would do well on Kickstarter especially if they, they won one of the top prizes or one of the category prizes that we have in the contest like this was the best war game in the 2015 contest and throw it up on kickstarter might do really well
0: i definitely think it's worth trying i also think that with a number of places like uh, aeg or some other ones i'm thinking of just in talking with the publishers throughout my role as a host on this podcast i think that a lot of them are also starting to turn their eyes to the demand for having solo games or games with solo variants or can be played solo, and realizing that it's a growing um, benefit that they should really start including other games. And I think that even if you start approaching traditional publishers, you probably get some hits, even outside of Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've seen that demand has been growing uh, in recent years. I think the, the one-player guild on BGG has really gotten people together uh, to be able to express their know Their desire for single player games or at least single player variants for games, and publishers are starting to listen. We're seeing a lot more Kickstarter games that have solitaire variants or stretch goals uh, attached to them, and more solitaire mm-hmm. on the games with, with the success of games like Friday and, and um, Infection. What, uh, yep. what, 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 what the, the, the Victory Point games? Uh
0: infection. Is not just called Infection?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and then um, humanity's
0: last humanity's guess, last gasp.
1: That's right. I was actually a play tester on that. I can't believe the <laughs> I forgot the name for a moment. Um, infection and, and hostage negotiator. You know these games have been hugely successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I think other publishers are really starting to notice that.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Chris. Well, thank- uh, I think uh, we're going to wrap
1: it up. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I had a great time on here.
0: Okay, and uh maybe we'll try and get you back on again sometime soon
1: yeah, I'd love that hopefully your uh hopefully your listeners find me a suitable replacement for Albert while he's out of town temporarily.
0: Oh, he's not that hard to replace.
1: <laughs> no one can replace Albert. come on, <laughs> certainly not yeah,
0: me I guess so. I guess so. I so. will keep him all right, thank you, Chris, and
1: uh, have a good night. Thank you very much, you too
0: thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you.